I'm going to have to apologise up front to everyone that's listening to this because it's 10 past 10 on New Year's Eve and England has a severe alcohol problem. So there are already some people that are past their limit. Um, so there yep. might be some noises in the background. If it sounds like something weird's going on, it's it's just British people attempting to celebrate <laughs> what a crappy year we've had. It's an honour and a privilege, as always, to talk to such talented and wonderful photographers. It's been crazy. I think we're now episode 175, which is absolutely bananas. And this one, this one's this one's very different because you do some things that terrify me, and we're going to talk about those <laughs> things that terrify me. Yeah. Before we get to any of that, though, let's just let's just you know kick the tires. Let's talk about how it is that you first found photography. So, what made you first pick up a camera and want to be a photographer? Um, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing because I actually I went to school um, in Savannah, Georgia, in um, the South for actually for animation, um, and and so while down there, and I was in that whole city is very artsy and fun. While down there, I. Uh, found a Polaroid uh, Land 250, I remember, which is one of the collapsible, like peel apart ones at a garage sale. And, and this was back in 2009 or 2010. And I kind of fixed it up. Uh, like you kind of have to rewire the batteries because they're not made anymore. And back then, Pacfilm was, was only a dollar, a dollar or so a shot. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, a little different now. But even even funny enough for a for a broke college kid, it was it was still pricey. And but I so I started shooting with that a little bit and was liking it, even though I was just really, I mean, taking pictures of nonsense um, at the time. And then and then after kind of getting into that, when I went home on like the holiday break, I found my my dad. Um, he has like an old you know, Canon AE1P, the classic, you know, like the everyman's SLR that I, you know, dug out and then started, started burning through some film with that. And then other kind of random, you know, uh, like secondhand, like Craigslist kind of cameras and stuff that I could find, but mainly with that one. Um, and so, yeah, I did, that was like for a few years, I was shooting kind of with a mixture of those kind of off and on. And then, uh, it, you know, of course the, the film prices as a young, you know, like I said, college age kind of person hit me <laughs> and I, and so then for a few years, I then shot, just, I like, I then was buying just kind of like, I bought like a Canon rebel digital camera and shot with that for a few years and wasn't, wasn't as a, enthralling to me as the film despite the costs and and then once by that point by that point i had moved um to new york city after after college and and started freelancing doing animation and had maybe a little bit more uh, pocket money <laughs> after after the first few rough years uh, in new york city and so then i started shooting a lot of more film and then um and then kind of felt back and hard with Polaroid cameras. And then, and then, I mean, in the last like four or five years, it's, it's fallen off a cliff into, into madness <laughs> of, of all the way up to, you know, I made it, I mean, New York city has so many, like such a great film community that um, I've uh, for better or worse, gotten pushed into a lot of new formats, like including large format and kind of other other various things. Like, I mean, I, right when PacFilm did get discontinued, I bought 
Um, I bought as much as I could afford at the time, but it was only like $200, which now I'm thinking, God, it's nothing now, but it's like, but I met with, um, I'm, I managed to meet Kyle DePew who runs Brooklyn film camera, which is pretty popular shop here in New York city. And, and then after meeting with him, that I didn't even know about them at the time, this is like in 2016, then that like, it was just like one thing led to another. And then Lamography had an office, like had, had their uh, studio or like their kind of store at the time. Yep. And so then I started getting involved with them. And then, and so then now there's like, I know a bunch of people within the the film community here. And, and so that's kind of been the, the decade long uh, roller coaster of film and digital and film and then deep into film. And that's kind of where, where I'm at now. Well, let me, let me jump in there then and, and sort of you used the word enthralling. You didn't find digital as enthralling as, as film. So are we talking results, process? What, what part of film is more enthralling than digital? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, I think it was like, I, you know, I didn't mind digital and I still don't like, I, I'm not one that's like, I mean, despite the fact that on the one hand, I do just shoot film. I'm not so, I'm not so like up my own, but to say that, to say that digital is like trash or whatever, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think, cause that was a while ago. And I think it was just, I mean, I think honestly it was mainly the Polaroids that kept pulling me back because I still had that 250 and that I was shooting with. And, and I would bring it to like friends or relatives, like weddings, the, the land 250. And I would just, you know, shoot just like a pack just for fun, um, at their wedding and, and just like little stuff like that, that those Polaroids, I don't know. I think just that kept bringing me back. And then, and then I shot, I think it was like, I mean, I still shot you know, film here and there, but mainly digital. And then, and then I think it's like, I think honestly, even outside of the process itself, which I do enjoy, I would say that uh, the film community itself, like really just sucked me in. Um, And that's like been, been the biggest, like uh, uh, for lack of a better term, vicious cycle of like pulling me in deeper and deeper but it becomes a codependent, uh, almost yeah. drug-like relationship. Yeah. And I think when I was also shooting digital, I wasn't as good at f- editing photos with like, even with like Lightroom or Photoshop. And like, I think looking, when I look back at some of my digital photos, the, the editing was just like all over the place. Um, and it was just kind of a mess because I was mainly using just Photoshop, like one image at a time yeah, yeah. and like, I'll edit this one and then I'll edit this one and I'll edit this Hard one. to build and up so like then, a consistent look. Yeah. And so then I would look at, you know, 20 photos from like, you know, a camping trip and they would all look kind of different. And they're, they're like, oh, there's like some good stuff there, but all would look kind of different. And so I guess the nice thing with, with film and with that, it was like, there was like some consistency and just like that it was just all in the same role and they would all look approximately, you know, the same. And then, and then kind of like, but then I, even outside of that, I think it's like, I do think the process has, has definitely, you know, pulled me in a lot and like, and even like taking just like a few casual workshops in New York city, like that was how I got it. Well, as a combined process slash community thing, I shoot a lot of super eight. Um, 
and and now even a little bit of 16 but i but with super eight i i was at the, the funny thing with that kind of to your first question of how i got started was i was on like my lunch break at a freelance gig down like on the waterfront in in manhattan and i saw this guy uh just walking around shooting with what I know now is like a little eight millimeter camera. It's like a little different. And, and I was just sitting there and I was just like, what the hell? I'm just going to ask him what he's doing. Cause like I shoot at the time, like, yeah, mainly digital, but with the Polaroid peel apart. And so I was just like, asked him like, Hey, what's, what's this camera you're shooting? I'm curious, whatever. And he's, you know, he was telling me, Oh, it's an old eight millimeter camera. He's like, I'm actually a German filmmaker. This guy, Tobias. Uh, I can't say his last name. He's he's German, and this guy and he said, "Oh yeah, I'm here from Germany because I have a short film and the Brooklyn Film Festival shot on Super Eight. You should come by and check it out." And because I think it was either free or really cheap, and I was like, "Sure, that sounds great." And so then I went and watched his short film, and then and which which was really great. And then I chatted with him more afterwards, and he said, "Oh." you should look up this place called Mono Noaware, which is this like small, like cinema arts nonprofit in Brooklyn that just teaches workshops on like super eight, 16 millimeter, even 35 motion picture and kind of a whole smorgasbord of others, like cinema analog related things. Right. And so I took like a couple of like how to develop in coffee or, and how to like bucket process film, just little fun things there. And, and that, and then I got super into that and that, and then back to the polar thing, I started, I started bringing that super eight camera to a couple friends weddings, just again, as a guest for fun. And then one thing led to another and my friends were like, Oh, you should like do this. Like you should like, I, you know, my roommate at the time was a photographer and she was like, will you shoot my wedding <laughs> on super eight? And, and she, you know, and like, you know, and, and I'll cover the film and everything. Cause I was like, Hey, this is kind of like a totally new thing. I don't even know if it really works or how to look, but it came like both of those first few weddings came out great. And then, so now then like, I kind of started up with the help of my wife giving me the actual kickstart to, to do it. Um, like started a little side business shooting, uh, like weddings on super eight and Polaroids. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, kind of like a lot of, a lot of, I feel like my film history is just like one thing leads to another leads to another, um, that like kind of pinballs around to different ideas or formats or people that well that tends to be the problem when people ask about the route (laughs) through to success is that it's almost always a a system of meeting certain people yeah and getting certain ideas or doors opened or whatever and it's not a case of like it's why i find a couple years ago i got i got invited to go on a a friend of mine bought tickets to go and see like a filmmaking thing and I'm a big film fan. I have no interest in ever working in making films. Yeah. It's just, I like watching them. I feel like yeah. as someone that's, I, I'm a trained chef, it can ruin food for you in some ways because oh, you know certain yeah. things. and You think too much, yeah. Right. And I think you can't unknow certain things. And, that, yeah. you know, I kind of want to leave films as being that thing, but I was <laughs> like, okay, fine, I'll go along. It's like a little day trip out to London. Like, why not? And everyone's question was basically like, how do you get to the point that you're just successful? Like what's the one road that you take? And it's like, it just doesn't work that way in the slightest. (laughs) 
So you've given me tons there to kind of segue to. I have a whole notepad of like different segues and you've given me about four and I'm trying to weigh up. <laughs> I'll go for a short one. I'll go for a short okay. one um, because in my last podcast, which actually isn't out at the time we were recording this, I had an interesting discussion with a, a gentleman that doesn't shoot, uh, doesn't shoot film. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a take on film, which I wanted to, I basically seeing, you know, what the gasoline does to the fire here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, really. Um, so his reason for not shooting film was that he thinks it's very lazy in the sense that it's not very, po- in, I guess, in the general sense, it's not very post-production heavy. Once you've scanned stuff, that's it, yeah. you post it. And to him, as a photographer, part of your remit or your job, I guess, is to be actively working within that post-processing now to an extent i can agree a little bit in the sense that i have been lazy when i've shot film it's a way for me to dodge right certain for sure. parts of I, I don't actually like editing in the grand sense of things when i'm in the process of editing bores me quite quite massively so i, I kind <laughs> of see his point but i want to see how you take what he said there and what you think of that i did yeah i mean yeah i can't entirely deny the claim of that Although I would maybe like rephrase that it being lazy on the, on the post-processing. Cause I think it's more that, and I feel like probably older like era film photographers would probably back this up that I think digital nowadays is very backloaded. It's like yes. you, you, sh- you can shoot a thousand photos and really just like, just pour it in there and just get a ton of photos. And then on the back end, you're like, okay, now let's sort through this and now let's fix this up and now let's like adjust this. Whereas I think the thing that I kind of enjoy about film is that it's very front loaded. It's like, you just have, it's, I think it can be, you know, more about getting it right in camera. Um, That, and I mean, again, I'm like, I'm not so, so pretentious to say that like one is objectively better or worse than the other. Yeah. I just like the, I just like the experimentation that film can have in the moment rather than, I mean, some people no doubt are post-production and like Lightroom and Photoshop wizards, like undeniably doing stuff that I don't even understand. And and I wish I did. Um, But I think there's something that I like about film being more tangible in that moment of creating the image of like, I mean, uh, I mean, like, you know, as I was saying, kind of like a lot of what I've gleaned and like, and learned is just through little bits here and there, or just experimenting and just uh, like, aside from a couple of really, you know, rudimentary courses, most everything I've learned has just been either on my own or just immense amount of Googling right. <laughs> and reading forums and stuff like that. Um, but, but, but I think that that's like the part that I enjoy is like figuring it out and experimenting while shooting and then learning from those mistakes and like, and then being like, hey, next time. I got to do this. Um, And, but then I think there's like a certain with all that, like front loading, I think there can be like a certain bliss with shooting film when, when, I mean, now I would say, while I'm not an expert at film, I'd say I'm comfortable enough to where I can shoot it quite reliably and get the results I want and less stressfully than like a beginner to where 
I, I think it's like, I think it's a, um, like I can always get an image on a negative, you know, it's like pretty much barring some mishaps, which I am guilty of in the, in the dark room and, and whatnot. Um, I think it's like, I can shoot it and just kind of really be in that moment and to like be comfortable with that. Like the metering's right. The focus seems good. Or like this film is right for this project or just like this walk in the park or whatever that I do think that there's like a lot more thinking ahead of time. Um, And so I think that the, the, I think it's almost like the laziness is inverted to where it's like, I think digital, you can be lazy at first and then, and then work hard later. Whereas I think film, you have to work hard first and then be lazy later. Digital is very correctable and film, film is a lot more fuck about and find out kind of i will i will say though that like something like as a as a person that like i said shoots a lot of super eight i like to tell beginners that that and like i even now like i do teach actually some little like super eight workshops sometimes with that nonprofit uh, mono noire um that it's just like how to shoot super eight like a little like once a week beginner course kind of thing for a month. And the thing that I like to tell them is that, especially when you're shooting with negative film and especially color negative, I just say it's so forgiving. It's like you have to really kill your exposure in the, in the darkness sense. Like I was like, you can blast it with light and you're going to get an image like, and that people are so, I think, especially when you're taking it to a professional lab and getting it professionally like developed and scanned and everything, even with your normal film, I think that it's more forgiving than people think, but at the same time, yes, digital, like if you underexpose digital, you can still pull it up and it looks like great. It looks like nothing's wrong. Um, whereas with film, not as much the case, but which is why, I mean, I even say, oh, like, even though it's kind of a trope, but just to like overexpose your film because film ultimately just like wants light. And so it's like the more light you give it, the more like information it's getting it. So I'm just like, just give it that information. And then, and then you can like, and then it helps you be lazy later, basically. You know, it's like, and then well, you're it's like, funny. I, I remember, I remember the, the first or second, the first or second time I shot film, I was at a studio and I hadn't changed the, so I was really new to it. I was just, dig- I was mm-hmm. not really a digital photographer at that point. I was just a guy with a camera trying to figure stuff out and found a, a Canon EOS 3, which is pretty much oh, my yeah. favorite film camera just because of the sound. And, um, <laughs> and I shot a roll, I shot a roll of, uh, 400 speed black and white film, but I hadn't set the camera. I hadn't uh, yeah. like set the lighting correctly. I'd set it all to, to ISO a hundred essentially. Mm-hmm. So I just overexposed by two stops and realized the mistake at the end of shooting it. And I was like, ah, oh, fuck. Like it's that's, dead. that's, yeah. that's dead. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So I, I like put it in a box, never thought about it. And then like, I don't know, six years later, I pulled the film out. I was like, oh wait, I know some stuff now. There's no way that film's that bad. And I looked at it, I was like, I know it's slightly better than the stuff that I had exposed <laughs> like, like closer. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, so a little bit of knowledge actually would have been quite helpful at some point there. All right. So I, yeah. I want to ask you a question because I love looking at your website. I've actually got your website up right behind where I'm looking at you at the moment. So I can kind of trigger some things in my mind and, and get a sense of your work, you know, mm-hmm. as, as you're talking. And here, here's a question I have for you. I've spoken to some wonderful film photographers, Carl Ferrez, who I saw you shout, uh, you shared a yeah, thing yeah. about today is, is one of my favorite photographers. 
I've asked the same question of him before, but it, as you're a film photographer and you're digitizing work for people to see it, yeah. do you have the feeling that people haven't really seen your work unless they've seen the tangible thing in front of them in, in reality? I think I'm kind of a mixed mixed bag on that one. I do think that, especially since with like, with a lot of the like weird expired Polaroids or other stuff that I've like, and especially with the Polaroids, just because I don't, I don't print a lot of my 35 millimeter stuff. I mean, like, I mean, like when I was first shooting it, I would like take it to the drugstore and then get, you know, the negatives developed in a set of prints and whatever. Whereas then in recent years, just for storage space in New York city, I don't really do that. I just get, them developed and scanned and so which is like a whole other thing pertaining to your question in a way but it's like but even with just the polaroids i do think that there is like a difference when i'm when i'm holding those polaroids and i'm like i'm seeing it in person i'm like and i do like since now i am i would say fairly proficient in a in an adequate way i don't know how to say it of like with editing in lightroom and stuff to where it's like Whereas like, yeah, years ago, it was all over the place. For now, I'd say I'm pretty good at it. I mean, I'm not like a retoucher. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't market myself as that, but I'm like pretty good at it to where I do try and like, literally I'll like hold the Polaroid in my hand while I'm looking at my screen with like, and try and like really match that. Because like, even like, cause I just scan on a flatbed, like an Epson V700, it's nothing too insane. And like, and that still will shift the colors compared to like when I'm holding it. And that always kills me because I'm like, oh, it looks like so cool in my hand, but it's just different on in the scan. And so I do try to like mimic that in the scans that I post, but it's just, yeah, I mean, ultimately it's not quite there. And so I do like, I mean, of course, this past two years now with Sandy, it's always like been a fun time when some of my photographer, like film photography friends, like come over to my apartment and I can literally just like, throw a box of Polaroids on the table and we just look through them. And like, that's just like, I think there's just something really like uh, sublime about that experience of like, you know, sorting through a bunch of Polaroids and like looking through them. But, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, with film, it's kind of funny how it is. It does more or less require the, a digital process. I mean, yes, there are purists out there who go, it's not film unless it's fully analog. I'm not like that. I mean, I, I, I like film because of the process. And then I do like the colors that it can naturally get, um, that I don't have to do so much work in Lightroom to get like colors that I like, um, that, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I think, I think even outside of that, like, or like pertaining to that question, it's more like, I was just chatting with someone just on, of course, Instagram. What I'm about to say is like the, like a day or two ago about it is that it's just like, I think it's just like now that I've started, I mean, I've been shooting four by five for a few years now, but then a friend who actually works at Polaroid lent me his eight by 10 uh, Chamonix camera along with some eight by 10 Polaroid expired film. And like, and then also I bought some black and white eight by 10 film. And it's like sharing an eight by 10 portrait that is like the size of my head on a screen. That's like the size of like my palm feels like ridiculous. But then, you know, you just like, this doesn't even begin to like 
compare, but then it's like, but what is, you know, the, the alternatives are so much harder to figure out of like, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's like a kind of a very sweet moment. What like a friend of mine from back home um, in St. Louis, who she's a designer um, and, and she's good friends. Well, she's, it's my wife's uh, good friend and they're both designers and like art directors. And she actually was like, Oh my God, I love this eight by 10 that you just posted. And I'd love a print of it. And I was kind of like, Oh, well, I've, I've never done, I've never really done any printing, um, which I'd love to, but it's such a, uh, a hard thing to manage to figure out in New York city. Yeah. Um, because I do a lot of the develop, I do most of my developing a black and white, at least myself. Um, just cause it's kind of fast and especially for a four by five, it's like surprisingly easy. Um, but I haven't done any printing. And so I was like, Oh man, like that actually sounds really cool to like get her a print and like a physical real one. Um, and so I've been like, even just the past couple of days, really like looking into that, um, of even just like figuring out if how to contact print or, you know, just like diving down yet another film rabbit hole. But, but yeah, it's like, I think that's the, the dilemma of like, I mean, I, yeah, I could do some like gallery or something, but then that's just like a whole other thing. It's like that, that's, that's such a huge undertaking when it, when in reality, I'm like, I don't know if I like need or deserve or like want to set up a gallery of my photos, but I, but, but, but I still want to share them. And I'm also really bad at Instagram. I, I post every like three months, um, like I posted several times this week just because I hadn't posted in, and it's since like October and I thought, oh, I should finish the year strong. <laughs> you know, you're one of those people that post the way that I eat cereal. So like I don't eat cereal for six months and then I'll eat two boxes of it in two days yeah. and then I forget <laughs> cereal exists and then I have to come back to it. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So I, I think the, obviously one of like the unspoken limitations in a film has to be like how you display it in a world where everyone's swiping furiously on their phone in yeah. some kind of phone masturbatory way. Exactly. In terms of formats, because obviously you've listed off just all of the formats that you've shot, and it's like it's literally I don't think they're any left to to be done other than maybe wet plate and and I'm sure you'll probably get there or you've been there. But I remember there's a there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of slander about 35 millimeter, which is kind of funny when you come from a digital world where there's a lot of slander about people not being full frame. Right. As, as it would right. be called when you come to uh, film, it's like, that's the bottom of the barrel. Like yeah, that's yeah. kind of the peasant stuff. And then you have to work your way up. Like you're not really accepted at that point. And, and there's a Peter Lindbergh quote, and I don't have to quote in front of me, otherwise I'd seem like I was a well-researched interviewer <laughs> where he basically says that 35 millimeter is very conversational. You can kind of shoot through the, the process to get to the image. Whereas if you shoot like eight by 10, you can't say like, we'll do 10 of them and we'll get to the one that's good. It's like you yeah, probably yeah, need to be getting absolutely. them right. So what, what is each format sort of scratching with you? That What's what itch is it scratching? I mean, I will. Yeah. I mean, I, well, what's funny is like, as, as, although I have, and do continue to shoot many formats, I will say the one little gap I have is I don't shoot 120 really. I think it's like, yeah, because but then to kind of to answer your question, I think 35 is a combination. I shoot a lot of 35 millimeter. I think one is that I, you know, again, 
COVID notwithstanding, travel, try and travel a decent amount when I can. And because I'm freelance with my day job, free, you know, it's like of animation, it gives me a little more flexibility to travel. And so is my wife is also freelance. And and so I think that 35 millimeters is so easy for that. It's so it's like compact, but still, you know, high quality enough to where I, you know, I can, I mean, although it's, I, I mean, my, I feel like my, my whole film ethos is very masochistic and like, I'm just, sometimes I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this <laughs> to myself? But I mean, yeah, it's like, I, um, yeah, I'll bring, you know, 20 or 30 rolls of film with me and shoot through those. Like I, I mean, last or not last year, 2019, uh, kind of through one thing leading to another ended up with my old roommate who I shot her wedding and some other friends went to like, went and hiked to Everest base camp. And, and I brought a 35 millimeter camera, my dad's Canon E one actually. And then a little backup Olympus XA. And then I did bring a Polaroid pack phone camera and then a little super eight one. It was like, but, and I, you know, it, so yeah, that's, that's the masochistic side of me of hiking with a, a bag full of cameras, but it's like, but, but for whatever reason, I love it. You know, it's like, I, and so I think that, but with, but with the 35 millimeter, it's that that's like the most compact and, and the quality is like enough for me. I, I'm not, I'll, I, I feel like in my, uh, most of my stuff, I feel kind of hypocritical because on one hand, I'm like, it's enough quality for me. But at the same time, I do really love a nice crisp image. I'm not like, oh, it's just total, like it's low quality. It's fun. It's throwaway. I'm like, no, but I do still want a nice image, uh, but it doesn't have to be insane. So I think that's 35 for me. And also since I, since in the past couple of years, I've gotten into shooting a lot more portraits. It was kind of like, I got the, I got my four by five in 2019. And I was thinking, well, it was kind of my friends who work at this different nonprofit called the Penumbra Foundation that they shoot actually a lot of wet plate stuff. And so I've met some of them and they've been trying to push me into four by five forever. And then I finally the bullet and found a cheap one. And then I was like, well, what do I do with this? <laughs> and so then I just started, started like reaching out to film friends and their friends and so forth. And to like starting to shoot portraits um, because I was just like, just come over and I'm just going to like burn some sheets and like, we'll see what happens. Um, and so then now, like since then I started shooting a lot more portraits and, and then started doing some like, more weird or like crazy portraits or like some like testing with models or other stuff just to like, just to scratch the itch to shoot. And, and I do think that 35 millimeter is that conversation. That's like, that's very spot on. It's like, I'm not like, cause I mean, if you see my like kitchen, I like, I, since I'm in New York, I shoot in my living room or my small extra bedroom, but it's like, uh, the kitchen Island is literally just covered in cameras when I'm shooting. It's like 35 millimeter and three Polaroid cameras and large format and yeah. And like super eight or whatever. And so I don't just like, like you said, I'm not going to walk like they walk in the I'm like, all right, so here's the four by five. Let's go. Um, because like, it's just, you got to warm up. You got to warm up to the expensive stuff. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think that the 35 is that conversation. And some people do use digital. Some people do digital for that and then go to the four by five or the Polaroids, wherever. But I just, you know, back to the very early thing, it's like, I just kind of like to keep it fully analog. It's like, it's, it's, although I make a, a little bit of money off of my film pursuits, it's ultimately at a loss, <laughs> you know? And so it's more of just like, it's for the pursuit of, of that hobby. It's not always like, I need to make money off of this. I mean, I mean, I'm grateful for that flexibility. Like some people don't have that flexibility. Mm -hmm. So then for me, it's like keeping it all film is kind of the goal. And what I like about shooting is that it's film. Um, and, and so, yeah, that 35 is kind of the conversation starter to get in the flow, to get going, and then, and then it's often, it's funny when I go through, even when I travel or when I shoot portraits, I then like hit that point where I'm like, wait, this is, this is it. Hold like roughly hold that. Um, and then I'll like drag over the four by five or I'll get like, you know, one of the peel apart, like cameras like that are like manual cameras and everything. And then I'm like, this is the shot. And so then often, oftentimes I'll have like bunch of different random 35 millimeter shots. And then like, then one shot the same on four formats, <laughs> you right. know, it's like, I'll like be like, wait, that's it. And then I'll shoot it on a Polaroid. And then I'm like, ah, but let me like also throw it on the four by five. And so I think like the, those are the ones that I'm like, that's, that's the one, because I mean, these days, especially since I'm shooting with a lot of expired stuff that I literally have to scour the internet and eBay for, I can more readily burn through 35 millimeter. Whereas like with, with, uh, like the, you know, Polaroids and even the fresh stuff, it's still like a few dollars a shot. So it's like those, I want to at least attempt to hit, have a pretty high hit ratio. Whereas I know 35, it's going to be some, some losers in the batch, but it's like, <laughs> with the, with the Polaroids, even if it's like little, like 600 film, like on like my 680 or something like that, it's like, I still want most of those to be the one Whereas yeah. like, it's not always, you know, obviously it doesn't always turn out that way, but, but, um, and also I just like, I just always love at the end of like a portrait shoot to just lay them all out. Um, like on the kitchen Island and just like, and just like kind of take a look at the spread and like, that's really cool. Cause then most of them are like the ones where you're like, Oh, that's, that's the one. Like, that's yeah. like, I remember that exact pose and I wanted that. And like, so, so yeah, I think it's, it's like, it's the 35 is the buildup. And then, and then the Polaroids are kind of, and the, and the four by five are more of like, this is the one. Um, but it is just ultimately just a lot of, experimentation I, i'm not i don't go into any of my shoots at the moment with like a specific goal in mind i guess which like i'm not a very high concept photographer i mean i'd love to be but it's just like even with animation it's always something i've like struggled with creatively it's like i'm good at at producing the results i'm good at like with the tools and like with the craft side of it but i'm not as like creatively minded i don't know and some people give me flack for saying that but it's like but but well, that's why like, you like the film because that's the chaos that's the chaos yeah, of creativity exactly so i have a bit of a provocative question it's not much of one it's nothing you know 
you're not going to be on anyone's Tumblr, don't worry. But um, is that still a website? Uh, but um, so I've worked with a a few photographers uh, since shooting film. I've watched in person some other photographers that also shoot film. Um, some that are newer to it and some that are a bit more seasoned and something that I've noticed with one person that jumps out and I'm going to give him a shout out now so he knows I'm talking about him, uh, a gentleman called Anthony, who I've seen shoot film quite a bit, is that he shoots medium format film like it's an endangered species and it's like one photo and then he has to really calm himself down, think about it. It might be like if he shoots three sets, like three outfits of of a model, he might he might use up a roll of film. And I have I think I'm more in your camp here where I'm less concerned with the financial side of things. When I'm shooting, I I can't be fiscally minded because I'm so much focused on what I'm doing. And I can shoot through three rolls of medium format on one look quite easily with the intention of there being maybe four or five photos out of those three roles that I'm going to like. And I tend to use it a little bit probably more like how people should use 35mm. I tend to use medium format, so I'm probably the wrong end of the scale on this. But my question is, because we've talked about all of this so far, we've talked about 16mm, you know, the Polaroids, the 35mm, the 4x5s, the 8x10s. Are you... In your mind, would you prefer to be kind of defined by medium as opposed to defined by genre? Genre being like, I guess, like style or like, or just like portraiture, I guess. Let's, let's go with style. Well, yeah, I do. I do think it's, I, yeah. And kind of like a, yeah, it's like I said earlier, it's like, I do sometimes feel hypocritical in, in my, in my, in my thoughts and that like, I do think that it's like, when I see sometimes with, with like, even like newer and this may sound bad, but it's like, (laughs) but it's like with some like newer photographer, film photographers being like all film all the time. And, (laughs) but then I see, but then I think that their, their, their work itself is lacking that I'm like, Oh, well, just because it's film doesn't make it good. And so you, and so I'm thinking to myself, you shouldn't, base the worth of your I mean it's gonna be really funny for me to say this but it's like you shouldn't base the worth of your work on the format that it's shot on yeah with that being said I do literally just shoot film and so then I and I and I do if you scroll through my feed it's all like obviously film photos it's a lot of weird expired stuff or like using like I mean I love using tilt shift on my four by five I love a weird focus you know and it's like or just like, yeah, it's like all the, you know, different formats are super eight and all that stuff to where it's like, I am fully in those formats, but I would say I do find that like, I am always trying to improve that craft to like mild excellence. Like, I like, and I like that sounds bougie or something, but it's like, I think that it's like, because it's, because it's film and because like, I'm, I'm simultaneously saying, well, I can like afford this for the most part through my day job. So I don't have to be so precious at the same time. I can't just burn through it like water. Like I'm not just like, you know, and so then I'm like, I want almost every shot to count in theory. Like if, even if I'm shooting 35 millimeter, I'm not like, 
I mean, I've, 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 I do, I've done like a little bit of assisting of assisting on like fashion shoots and stuff in New York city. And even some that they are shooting film and, and just like, I mean, especially the digital ones, it's just like, it sounds like gunfire. It's just, you know, and it's like to where, you know, but then even some of the film ones, it's like that. The ones that I, I, I just assisted on one a few weeks ago and it was all, all film for the most part, except for just some light testing. And it was just rolls and rolls. And it's like, so I can't do that, but, but I still want it to be filmed. So I don't know. I think it's like, even though I, I do focus, I, even though my mantra or my like ethos or style is very like Nick's obviously shooting on film and he promotes that. And like, that's all he talks about <laughs> at the same time. Like I would hope that for the most part, my work can also be applied to digital with, I guess, some post-processing. It's like to where it's like, I don't want the image to necessarily only be good because it's on film, Mm -hmm. but I will say, I do think that, and not everybody agrees with this. I do think that film can elevate a maybe more mediocre image. Well, you said something in the middle of that where I think you were touching on something, but then you became modest and didn't go down the (laughs) the route that you were probably going for, which is you said about always wanting to improve. And I actually think this is potentially the difference between like using film as a crutch and using it to bend, bending bending the format to get what you want out of it and kind of pushing it to the limits of what your brain can do with it um, in one way or another. And I actually get from Instagram, I I get a very similar, I I hate the word vibe. I hate what young people have done to the word vibe, but I get a very similar feeling of the same vibe from people that lean on film photography on Instagram. And those people, it's a very American thing where they wear uh, like their own brand t-shirt and they have one of those like Ronin gimbal thingies. And they do lots of swooshing shots of like a car (laughs) driving past and it's all meant to be so overly cool. I get the the similar sort of vibe that the the use of hashtags for film now has become like a pair of Von Dutch jeans in the early 2000s. It's like, it looks cool (laughs) now, but we know in about three years time, people are just going to look like douchebags. Well, and I think it's like, I and you know, to these people's, credit it's like i do think that people some of these people are just pushing back against digital it's like i mean for i mean my the digital camera i still own is a canon t2i which is from like 2007 mm-hmm. and it's like and, and it was funny because when like i just shot a few months ago like an engagement session sort of thing and they wanted like some digital and some film and i mean she knew the digital was in many ways so carefree. So I was just like, this is great. I mean, it's, it's so sharp. It is so easy to use. I can just change the ISO or whatever. Like all these, like, you know, it's like, sometimes I'm so in, in enveloped in my film world that then when I shoot digital, I'm like, wow, this is so nice. <laughs> um, but, but it's like, but I mean, I think it's that it's so clean and clear and it's been that way. I guess it's so, but I guess that's the point I was trying to make it's, it's, it's been, fairly clean and crisp for like a decade now. And, yeah. and especially within the recent few years that you're just like, that you have to become back to your like way earlier question with your, with the, with the other guy, it's like, you have to become a 
post-processing like wizard in order to stand out. Like, I mean, anybody can like take a digital image and then, and then it's like, you just put the defaults, like, I mean, this is more of a cinema term, but like default, like LUT or whatever. Yeah. The preset. Yeah. Preset to make it look like a standard image. And it's like, I mean, granted, that's not to say like, obviously there's a lot that goes into that for the photographer. I'm not trying to, you know, I hate that. I hate the thought that like, Oh, what camera is that? It takes a good photo, you know? Yeah, yeah. Cause you know, it's like, there's a lot more to that, but I think that, that with digital, it can just be, you know, so I guess like more homogenized in terms of the look that I think that, um, I think that that's why a lot of people are kind of pushing back against that, but they're almost like, I don't know, maybe going too far the other way where now it's like that, well, now I'm shooting on this really terrible 35 millimeter camera and all underexposed photos. And like, that's going to be my look, which I mean, I think, I think it's like, even if I think ultimately it's about intent, like if, I mean, I know some film or digital photographers where all of their stuff is underexposed and it looks so cool. Like, cause that's, they know what they're doing. It's a modern cinema thing as well. You go and see almost any film at the cinema now it's, it's underexposed. Yeah. And so I think it's like, if there's intent in what you're doing, then I think it's, then you can do whatever you want. If all, if your intent is to like have all your photos, like have a green cast or all your photos be blurry or all your photos be hyper crisp, sharp or whatever. It's like, or underexposed. It's like, if that is the goal, then like, I think that that's fine, whether it's digital or film or whatever. I think it's that when it's just like, it's whatever that I think that's why I'm like, Oh, well then it's just maybe being served a little bit more as a crutch. I think that the, the big issue, regardless of whether you're shooting film or digital at the moment is that people are just incapable of handling non affirming feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I think social media has made everybody, I don't really know the politically correct way to say this, but just utter pussies yeah. where someone, <laughs> I, someone could say, I, I'm not a big fan of, of X. And it's like, they have the right to say that you're putting something out publicly. They have the right to say that yeah. you have the right to ignore them. You do have the right to waste your time and try right. and change someone's opinion which is never going to work because if they didn't like it at the stage where you were just giving it to them as a raw piece of art, they're not going to like the explanation. No one's ever been (laughs) talked into liking a film or a photo or a song. It's not like I've ever heard a song and thought, Jesus, this sounds terrible. And then someone said, oh no, because da 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 da. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's actually an amazing song and I now like it. And it's, it doesn't work that way. No, I absolutely agree. It's like, I, I do think that's something I've talked about about like kind of missing art school with like critiques and stuff. And even just like, I think it was yesterday, even I was talking to this girl, I know just through Instagram, Angelia, that she had uh, just worked in a film and, and she like a short film. um, And, and I, and she was like, Oh, if you want to watch, like I can see the link and everything. And so I watched it and I thought it was really great. And, um, but then like, when I was like, just DMing back and forth with her, I was like, Oh, like, I was like, Oh, well, like, I do think this part was like a little, you know, maybe like not as strong or like, maybe like this could have been changed. And she was actually like agreeing. She's like, Oh yeah, I think like, I see what you're saying, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I did preface or like, I guess, 
post fist, I don't know, but afterwards, <laughs> I was saying, I just said, like, just to let you know, like, I did actually really enjoy the film and this, my like critiques aren't meant to say that I didn't. It's just that, and I said, I said something like, it's just that uh, on social media, you all so often just get like a thumbs up and people walk away yeah. or metaphorically walk away and like, and there's no like critiques that happen. And so I was like, I was just kind of throwing this out there. It's like, I mean, it's all, this is all of our art form. And, yeah. and like I said, like, I always want to improve and it's like to, for just everybody just be like, looks awesome. Or like fire emoji. And I mean, not that I want somebody to like totally shit all over my photos, like on Instagram, but I guess if they did, it's like, I would be open to being like, well, why, like, why, why do you, why do you hate this photo? And so that's why with her, I was just like, Hey, I was just throwing out some like, some feedback just since like, I know it's, you know, something you've worked on and like, it's not a perfect film. Just like, I don't have any perfect photos, you know, but, uh, but I think that that discussion, those types of discussions are harder to come by now. And like, I kind of miss having like a more honest, like, well, this is a really cool photo, but like your light is kind of weird in this spot. And like, Mm. maybe like the editing could have been darker here. Like you, the focus is whatever, you know, it's like that, you know, I kind of do miss having some of those discussions adult, that adult are conversations. Made, yeah, made so much more difficult with social media being like a vacuum chamber or like an echo chamber of of like positive affirmation. I think the problem is is that there's it's it's one or ten. So yeah. you're either like the best thing that's ever happened, or you should go fucking kill yourself, and there's nothing right. in between. And right. like. And it's most of the time, that's not even the conversation. People will say something. I've had people say, I don't like this about this image. And I'm like, all right, (laughs) and I'll live and they'll live. And I don't have to, I don't have to waste their time or mine getting into an argument about it. No. And sometimes people can say, oh, did you realize that this was like this? And you're like, I didn't look at it that way, but that's an interesting sort of position with the podcast. I mean, 175 episodes, almost every episode I've come away afterwards, like, huh thinking about something that i've done that the the other person has said oh i don't know why people do x or i don't know why more people don't do this and i come away like why didn't i do that or why do i do that and it's 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 good to have that self-reflection the problem is is that like you said everything's an echo chamber now everyone's so scared of of hearing anything other than affirming messages that they don't know how to cope okay so let's talk about the uh, at the beginning of this i alluded to something that you do that's terrifying (laughs) <laughs> now I Go shoot wed- I shoot weddings. I am a digital wedding photographer. I'm one of those dickheads. Yeah, yeah. But I don't find weddings in the slightest nerve wracking, or I don't. I just don't feel the pressure of them at all. I think they're fun days. I think it's like if you're a photographer and you like photographing, weddings are really really cool because there's just, it's just constant it's chances to yeah. be different kinds of photographer and exactly. And you interact with people, and even on your worst day, if you absolutely hate the people that you're working for unless they remarry and for some reason like you, you never have to work for them again. So it's pretty great. But you shoot Polaroids and Super 8 at weddings. And obviously you've already mentioned that you do that, but just the complication and the added pressure of unknown outcomes. I mean, Polaroids, maybe not as, I mean, um... there's definitely, yeah, there's, it's, there's some complications I've had there. Okay. So talk me through some complications. Um, well, so, so like I started, like I said, I started shooting as like bringing the, the pack film camera to some friends' weddings and, and then, and then the super eight. And so then 
when I actually had started my, like officially kind of was like, I'm going to start my little Nick Cottonwood vintage, uh, official outlet. Um, cause before that I was just like, my film stuff was just like on my own little personal Instagram account, but I, but like my wife like started it and I started doing that. And then of course, like three months later, Fuji killed 100 C, which is what I was shooting. The, like so far I was shooting the wedding song. And of course that like was a huge record scratch of, of like, uh, what do I do now? And so then I bought, I kind of splurged a bit and I bought this, it's a it's an old Polaroid camera. It's called the Polaroid 110B, and it's that's a beauty. But it's from like the 50s, and it was meant originally meant for roll film Polaroid, which is a whole other thing. But then there's this guy, Option Eight, who could use this like back from Lamography that was an Instax back, and he kind of smashed it together with this Polaroid camera, so that now I had this like fully manual with like aperture and shutter Polaroid like camera that shot. Instax, which was cheap, um, which I mean, it still is much cheaper. Um, and but that back, I mean, I love Lomography and I, fr- I have friends that work at Lomography, but they're sometimes their uh, quality control isn't fully there. Uh, and <laughs> beer gets gonna yeah. hate me for that. Um, yeah. but but uh, the the back that I had would sometimes jam, um, to where it wouldn't eject like the dark slide or whatever. And I had to just like do this whole mess of like, like yanking the pack out of it. The pack would kind of get stuck in there and I have to yank it out and then like lose a shot and put it back in. And like, and so, and so there's been, yeah, I've had that happen on a few weddings where it was just like, it just was not cooperating that day and was jamming. And like, I mean, ultimately like I just, it was more like losing some a little bit of time rather than like losing shots is it more um, a case of where you're like really aware of people watching you like fight this right. piece of plastic right i'm just like trying to like rip this out and i'm just like just give me like three minutes and i'll be right there you know and but luckily I, that didn't happen too much although i will say i have since abandoned using that back like um because that camera like i can actually swap the backs on that camera which is really nice um between like Instax pack film and actually Polaroid like 600 integral. It's a whole crazy, uh, fancy camera that I have on my hands, but I kind of stopped using that back. Cause I was just like, I can't keep doing this. I can't like on a wedding day, even, you know? And so I, I'm at, I've been looking into like getting, finding these like other modders who do custom backs that do motorized ones because I'm, cause this one had a hand crank too, which was just like, was like it was a whole thing yeah yeah it was a whole thing to where i was just like yeah i can't i can't keep doing that and it was like and um so but so now i actually have a different instax camera that it's it's a instax wide camera like you would buy from the store but it has a medium format lens attached to the front um via like you know, glue and tape basically. Um, but it's, I mean, it's got a great, like insects film itself is really high quality. It's yeah. just Fuji has really bad cameras, yeah. which is like, like with Polaroids, film, Polaroids the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Like modern Polaroids, Polaroids actually the wrong way around. Yeah. I mean, with any of these films, it's like you put good glass in front of it and, and it does make, 
like a huge difference in the quality. It's like, even with 600 films, like we're shooting it in that one ten B, it, it looks amazing, but that's because like that camera has a piece of glass, like, you know, the size of like, you know, whatever, like a roll of, or like a, I don't even know. It's like, it's like the size of a few coins, like it's big. And so it's much nicer glass and it's actual glass rather than plastic and all this other yeah. stuff. But, but yeah, so I use that one a lot now and but I will say that in terms of other, other, um, challenges I have, I mean, I've shot, I, I don't, I don't shoot a ton of weddings. I've shot maybe like 30 or something like in the five or so years I'm doing it, I maybe shoot like five a year or something. It's not, it's like, it's not something like, it's not my day job or anything. Um, but but I can't I tell you how jealous I am because I've shot, I think, 58 this year. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I'm jealous yeah. of the fact so that you I just shoot, had 30 in five years. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I mean, because obviously shooting a Super 8 or Polaroid wedding is like, is incredibly niche. It's not just like, I want a film photographer to shoot my wedding, which is more of like the light, airy, like, you know, medium format vibe. 400 H, yeah. Yeah. Except, but it's like, I want a film photographer who shoots my, who is going to shoot, uh, cause not even everybody wants a wedding video these days. They think, Oh, they're cheesy and they're stupid. Mm-hmm. And I mean, 10 years ago, I would say that was definitely the case or even 20, but it's like, but now I think there's like just a little bit more modern take on it, even with using vintage cameras that like more people are like, Oh, this is actually kind of nice to have like a video. Um, but, and then for them to think, well, why don't we have that shot on film is like so incredibly niche that I, that it's just like, there's not a huge market out there for that. And I'm kind of okay with that. It's, you know, just, well, let's, talk, like, let's talk about that market then. Cause you said at the beginning that the, the sort of seed of it was a wedding photographer asking you to shoot their wedding. Yeah. And looking at the work that you do, I can definitely see, a, and I'm taking a guess here, that a percentage <laughs> of your a decent percentage of your clients are going to be people that have an interest in some way or another in photography to even be aware of that as a, as a medium. Most marriage is people twenties and thirties and people in their twenties and thirties now don't spend an enormous amount of time away from their phone. So people that know what sort of super, like what, you know, super eight is or what Polaroids are or what 16 millimeter is they're going to be people that have at least some kind of view of an interest in that stuff. Is that, is that a fair guess? What's funny is it's, in some ways it's like, it's yes and no, because uh, unfortunately a lot of the people that, I mean, as anyone at all involved in film or knows anything about film knows film is not the cheapest endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so shooting a wedding on film is also not the cheapest endeavor. Um, so it's like the, unfortunately I, I can't shoot, you know, a wedding on super eight for like the price of, of like your average digital cinematographer, because I already have hundreds of dollars of expenses right off the bat. Yeah. It's like, it's not just like, well, I have to go like buy some batteries for my flash. It's like, no, I have to buy $500 in film. Um, and, and so while on one hand, I would love for all of my clients to be like super, like, 
artsy young people, a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't have like the budget for it. You know, it's like, because I mean, I would, you know, I would love to shoot weddings for nothing in theory. It's like, cause I, I do, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm very much a people person. I, even with like my photo shoots and stuff like that, I like feel like I talk 50% of the time, uh, but, uh, and the other half is the actual shooting, but it's like, I do like people. And I, and although I didn't ever set out to become a wedding, uh, cinematographer or photographer, I do, I do like weddings. Um, and even though they're like the bastard stepchild of the photo industry, <laughs> um, but but it's like I think that the, the like there is just that cost, and so a lot of the people that I've gotten do have to be, especially and also New York City adds a whole other element to it. Is that like New York City weddings are just expensive? There is that's not a surprising fact to anyone, and so a lot of the people looking for cinematographers that they are like higher end weddings, right? Um, and so then there's like that element to it. And so like a lot of the, a lot, like some of my, what some of my weddings have been just through people finding me just being like, I actually want a super eight cinematographer for my wedding. And then some people, it's just like their event planner or their friend or there's someone just through more of a word of mouth go, Oh my gosh, this guy, Nick, he does these like weird old film movies and it looks cool. And then they look at my work and then they're like, this is great. You know? And so and so then a decent amount don't even know like really what super eight is. They're just like, I saw your website and I love like that old home movie vibe. And I would love that for my wedding because I mean, my like ethos for shooting these wedding films is that it is like explicitly different than shooting on digital. Like I, I shoot, like I just got off the phone right before we hopped on here um, with, a, with like a, wedding couple that was like an inquiry that was asking about it. And it's like, I was just like, I only shoot anywhere from like five to 10 roles a day mm-hmm. because I just can't, I mean, it's not endless. I, you know, I have to pare it down. So then I'm only shooting little snippets throughout the day. And generally speaking, I don't record, I like I record audio on a separate thing for like the ceremony or maybe the speeches, but the film doesn't record audio. And so it's like, it's more of just like a memory of the day rather than like a documentary of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mean, that's I'm assuming like kinda, that if you're recording audio, you're recording it onto wax cylinder to make it exactly, fit the vibe, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Really get that analog uh, aesthetic and crackle. <laughs> But yeah, it's like that I'm just shooting more through like little snippets. And so then it's like, so it's not, yeah, the full day. It's just more like a casual and it's just me. It's not a whole team. It's just like me with one little super eight camera making the most of the day. Um, But it is like, it is different because, you know, obviously it's like, I'm not, I don't have the flexibility of digital. And so there is more of like worrying about lighting or worrying about, like conserving my footage because you know it's like making that making those roles last throughout the whole day can be a challenge and then to your first uh, question about the about the issues is that like and then i have to like get it developed and scanned and in the like maybe like 30 or whatever weddings i've shot i fortunately you know not going to have done pretty well but i did have one wedding get lost in the mail oh my god lab yeah it like oh my god that's giving me anxiety 
Yeah, it never made it to the lab. And I searched and I contacted every which person I, I could. And it was like utter agony of like trying to find out where it was or how they could find it. And it and it has to this day never shown up. So I just had I just had to refund that couple the full amount. And it was just it was so annoying. I mean, obviously, but it was so annoying is that it was something like relatively out of my control. It was just yeah. like, it wasn't like I messed up. Like, cause I like to all my weddings, I bring two super eight cameras because like I have had, sometimes I've had little camera issues and then I'm just like, boom, switch into the other camera because like, I can't be futzing around with the camera all day if it's working or not. So I do bring like two cameras and mm -hmm. I bring extra batteries and like a light to make, if it's low light. So I try and really cover my bases and yet something as like as out of my hands as like nailing it off to the lab and it just like it was just like i mean it's also heartbreaking because like of course it's their literal wedding film and that was like yeah. really that was really hard and i was like so apologetic and like you know i did take some really cool polaroids of them that i that i sent um but but yeah, it was just, I mean, that is definitely one of the, one of the challenges and just, and, and even outside of that is that like dealing with these old cameras where I have had a couple of times, the super eight cameras themselves start to give me issues and like, and so, I mean, there's definitely, I, I, I go into weddings, both like enjoying them and also with a slight sense of, of worry and anxiety because it's like, these cameras are 40 years old and they're tiny electronic things. They're not, they're not always like, so like nice and heavy mechanical, like a Bolex or something that's like, Oh, it's sturdy. It's like some of these, they're just like little electric. I mean, I, I have a pretty nice, I have a few super nice, uh, like, like nice super eight cameras, but it's like, but still like, I mean, they're getting old. And so it's just like, sometimes it's just their time to go. Uh, so that is the, that is the, the rub on shooting with those old cameras. Like it looks great. It's a lot of fun shooting it. It's very casual. Like, so that, that like, I, I, like I said, I do think it's very forgiving where it's like, if the footage is like a little bit underexposed or a little bit shaky or like a little bit blurry, just because it's so like, you know, kind of like run and gun, it, it works in my favor because it just adds to the charm of it. It's like, yeah. oh, it's old whole movies. I mean, granted, like I said, I still want with like my photo shoots or whatever, I still want to make a good image. So like the goal isn't like, it's whatever. I'm just going to underexpose everything and I don't really care. That's my vibe. I'm like, I still want it to be a good image, but sometimes it's not. Yeah, but <laughs> you some, like, the, like you've said uh, today, I think on Instagram, mood comes above like technical Things, yeah like sometimes sure. yeah if like if the focus isn't quite there like oh man i i just my another one of my wife's friends just got married like a couple months ago but she had actually gotten because of covid and everything she had actually gotten married like officially several months ago and this was more of like the party and they, but they did have a, sh a small ceremony yeah and then like a full-on reception and and so i was as a gift i shot just a couple roles um because i was going to go anyways and she's a really good friend of mine and and so i shot some throughout the day and it was going really well and and then there was the ceremony came up and um and I think, I don't know who said it, but somebody was like, oh, like the efficient's got this really like great speech or whatever. Like you should keep an eye out for it. Or maybe I'm just telling myself that because <laughs> what happened is we like the ceremony starts happening and like generally I kind of walk around, shoot a couple different angles or whatever. And I just, it felt like all of a sudden the efficient was like, 
And like, now you're married, you may kiss the bride. And I was just like, Oh gosh. And I like whipped out my camera real quick. And I like, and I started shooting and, and of course, and I got it. But when I got the footage back, the actual kiss itself was uh, quite blurry. Um, and I was just like, uh, and I, I mean, like, and she, what, like, luckily she was a friend and she like actually thought it was like, but which, like I said, for the aesthetics of the format, it can be forgiving just even when it's out of focus. But it was funny because it was like, because they had already gotten fully married before the ceremony was almost just like a formality of like, here you are, here you are now kiss. Yep. And I didn't realize it was going to be literally like a three minute ceremony. You know, I was like, at least on the short end or 15 minutes, you know, this was like <laughs> under five. And so it just really caught me off guard. And so it was just like a funny thing with like that, where it's like trying to make sure to hit all these moments with film and like focus it. And like, you know, it's like that it's, but it, but it, but it kind of worked out in the, you know, in a funny way where it's like, it still looked, you know, kind of fun and it's in a way and like in the rest of the day looked great on the film. So I don't know, there's definitely some, uh, I mean, as with film in general, there's a lot of serendipitous nature to shooting weddings on super eight that it's, you're not going to get like a 4k ultra crisp, like yeah. cinematic thing. Like, and that's never the vibe like that. Like, you know, I, at one point on my website, like a couple of years ago, whatever, I had a little thing that said, like, it's like you're, it's like a mixture of, of a professional and your grandpa shooting your wedding. Like, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's like, it's like charming, but it's, but I'll get the shots. Like, you know, that I don't want it to be like grandpa where 90% of the footage is underexposed and blurry, but, but I do, you know, I'm not going to come in on a steady cam and like zooming in all around to make yeah. sure that it looks crazy. So I don't know. It's kind of a funny mixture. Well, weddings of- in general have those moments. Like this year we've seen a lot of like what, what I guess are referred to here as blessings, which is like, they're already married. They did it at a yeah. registry office because you know, COVID yeah, exactly. and then they've had the like fake wedding, the blessing afterwards. And most of the time, like you say, that's like a three minute thing. And now that I do, I shoot about 70 a year. So I'm like well aware that that's coming. And Mm -hmm. then just before Christmas, we had a a blessing. And I don't know like if the the woman doing the blessing was like an only child or she just didn't get enough attention in her marriage, but she milked this thing for all it was worth. It was like longer than what a standard civil ceremony in England would be. And it got so long that I started to drift mentally. Like I was like, this is so boring. She's just, just dragging and dragging every word. And then all of a sudden it was like, and if you'd like to get, and I was like, Jesus Christ, she's, I thank God I got it. But like, she yeah, almost it, bored me into defeat, which is like, and if you do, if you do a Catholic wedding in England, I always tell videographers like they're kissing early. Yeah. Like do and not, there's a whole lot more. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, Oh, it's an hour long ceremony. And you think, Oh, okay. So like 50 minutes in, they're going to do something. No, 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 no. Everything happens in the first five minutes. Oh yeah. And then you've just got to try and stay conscious after that because it is going to be a challenge. Right. Let's go back to something that you brought up earlier. It's, I don't want to spend ages on this because I know that you've probably talked this to death. I will have talked this to death. Everybody has talked <laughs> this, this subject to death, but film prices. <laughs> Uh, And just sort of the sort of general future of film, you know, 400H went last year. A lot of people that didn't shoot 400H made sure to make a big stink of it in their stories. And then afterwards admit that they don't shoot it anyway, so they don't care. Um, And they drove the price up of it by talking about it and talking about it. So everyone rushed out to buy what was left. And 
that was one of the darker sides, I think, of the film community or just generally like social sure. media. Kodak have obviously said that their prices are going up again because they're bastards. Yeah, yeah. doesn't bother Absolutely. me too much because I like Foma and I like Ilford, so I'm going to be fine. Yeah, but is film going to end up kind of pricing itself out of existence? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I definitely, yeah, within the past few weeks, that it definitely has been all over kind of within film photography circles and everything. And and I will also say I it, in my average, like like I just posted a blog again for the first time in like three months and 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 it was this shoot with this girl Paloma and all of the film I shot in it is Arista. <laughs> it's 35 millimeter Arista, four by five Arista. All 400 speed and then eight by 10 Arista. And then, other than anything color that's there, is the Polaroids. And I mean, I definitely am kind of a, a, yeah, in that, in this funny middle ground of like, I am a spectacularly like uh, cheap (laughs) film photographer, like where being cheap, where it's like I cut corners in ways that I probably shouldn't. I mean, like the flashes, the strobes that I use are like these old Vivitar flashes and, you know, like, my setup is very, is very Jerry rigged together. It's, right. it's not beautiful. And so, cause I'm just like, I'd rather get the job done and, you know, rather spend the film or spend the money on film. Yeah. Um, but it's like, but so, yeah, I mean, I get you on try Like I, so I would rather shoot. Well, this sounds bad, but like quantity over quality per se. I mean, no doubt. Like, I mean, I shoot tons of four by five Arista and I mean, I know, like, I mean, I see when following or talking in different like Facebook groups or whatever about large format, all these people shooting Ilford and Triax and everything. And I mean, it looks amazing. And I mean, I wouldn't say, but that's the thing. It's like, I'm like, it looks amazing. And I'm like, oh, that would be nice to shoot that. But it, but to me, it doesn't look like two to three times more yeah. amazing. Yeah. Of like justifiable Arista, jump. Yeah. Arista for four by five is a dollar a sheet, more or less, for for in the States. And it's like, and Ilford is is like two-ish, and then Kodak's like three. And I'm just like, I I'd rather I'd rather be shooting two to three times more mm-hmm. than than that. Whereas like, cause I I get the quality I need out of FOMA slash like Arista because it's the same film. It's yeah. like I get the quality I need out of it to where it's not such utter trash that I am like, I'm just like just trudging through the mud with it. Just be like, I'm just so cheap. I'll deal with the shit. I'm like, no, I like it enough, but but I do buy that film specifically because it is so cheap. And I, I mean, yeah, it's like I look at, you know, obviously Portrait is a gorgeous film and it's so high quality. And I haven't bought a roll of Portrait in probably like two or three years mm-hmm. uh, because it's brutal. And like all of like my travel and stuff, I I buy like Pro Image 100, a bunch of, or like Gold 400, like Ultra Max when I can. And so, but I definitely, knowing that this was coming, I've been like kind of looking and already seeing some film prices creep up to where it's like some of that stuff is 10 to $12 a roll for the cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's like, yeah, I'm just, it is brutal, no doubt. And it does like, it does give me pause to be like, what, like, yeah. Like what's, what's the plan here? Yeah. Um, I, I think that it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's great. It's kind of funny because like, 
when I like really dove into film in like 2015, 2016, like hard, not just as like every once in a while I shoot a role, but like really it's like, I love this. I'm going to shoot a bunch of it. That was like pre uh, uh, bubble basically or whatever. It's not even, it's not even burst yet. It's not even gonna burst, I guess. At this point it was like, I mean, I was picking up super eight cameras even on eBay on like bidding them for like 30 or $40 that now go for 400. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah. And then like all these different, like, you know, various cameras that I bought, even like Polaroid cameras or whatever I bought four or five years ago. And now, yeah, they're like two, three times the price. And like, I mean, and, but, but so all that to say is like, what's just funny about that is that like the prices have, still been kind of film wise been expensive in that time and it's like but but it's still growing so it's kind of a funny thing where it's like it's growing despite being expensive yeah but i don't know i think i feel like it's kind of crest of the wave i feel like we're in the perfect storm right now of it's very fashionable yeah in the general sense and that's good for people being happy to to enjoy capitalism i guess to be popular they'll do it (laughs) Um, I think when the the sheen of popularity comes off of it, that's when this might look like a very bad point for Kodak to do what they're doing. Fuji, Fuji seems to be very dismissive of just having Fuji, customers. Out. Yeah. Fuji to me comes across as like a hostage that's been forced to run a business because everything they release, whether it's digital or or film or anything they sell, they seem to be very kind of like America playing with the metric system with it. Like they're kind of like they do it. <laughs> But go fuck yourself. Like they don't yeah, they're not happy about really it. Like yeah. All right. So very quick fire question for you here. Okay. You get just two questions. You get to give me two answers. That's it. Okay. And I'm not going to ask for follow-up. I want this to be controversial. <laughs> oh boy. The most overrated film stock? Uh Portrait 400. And the most overrated camera. Oof. Um Wow, that's a tough one. I would say I guess just like the the, like the context T2, I guess, would come to mind for those. Although it's like, what's funny is with both both of those answers, I'm like, but they're both still great. Yeah, like, but something can be great and still be overrated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. That's it doesn't mean it's bad. Not, it just means that the hype is beyond what yeah, it is. I think that's where I'm at on both of those. So we're in the sort of 30 minutes to New Year's here in England. And I know oh England, although we don't have guns, we do like to make loud noises. So I feel like I've got to <laughs> kind of push this towards wrapping up. Um, there's one right. thing I do really want to talk to you about. Um, and it's, it's, you don't like to, uh, it's hard being English because you just always sound like you're insulting people. I liked your work. I was already yeah. a fan of your work, but then the New York fashion week stuff happened you got an amazingly cool couple of Polaroids of Rosario Dawson. Yeah. And not yeah. just her, but and I'm gonna have to quickly scroll through a blog here so that I don't leave people yeah. out. Just some amazing, I guess you'd call them environmental portraits, because I guess that's kind of what it is, of people in and around New York Fashion Week. Yeah. The camera you use to do that is fucking bananas. And it must have drawn just a ton of ton of attention. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure helps quite a bit. It does. It, it did help draw the attention from like the, the pool of digital photographers also screaming. Yeah. All, all mouth breathing. And then they yeah. notice you. <laughs> yeah. So just talk to me for the sake of me being a big fan here. Talk to me about the, the approach to getting those photos of Rosario Dawson and just shooting New York Fashion Week in the way you did. How did you end up there? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean that I feel like I need to give a little bit of backstory to that camera because through like, uh, like the, the very, very long story condensed down very short as much as I can is last year, despite the pandemic, my, my retired mom decided she was tired of being retired and then got a new job at a university because she is a professor across the country where I'm from St. Louis, which is in the middle and of the country. And then the new job was in uh, like in Oregon on the West coast. Yep. And so I drove her out there through a lot of stress and, cl- and clearing out my childhood home. And, and then on the way back, my wife and I, to de-stress, got a little camper van and drove through like, I mean, America does have some incredible national parks and I had a bunch of, a bunch of film and I had, I was borrowing my friends four by five and super, and I had my super eight. And so we drove back through a bunch of national parks. It was amazing. And there's this uh, film lab called the find lab that is run by this guy, Jonathan Camless. And he's, he's, a really great guy. He just like does a lot for the film community and he's a great wedding photographer and um, film wedding photographer. And I just randomly hit him up um, because I, we hadn't really chatted much. And I just, just said, Hey, I'm literally going to try. It's based in Salt Lake city, which is Mm -hmm. kind of on the way. And I said, Hey, I'm driving through. would love to just like say, Hey, we can stay spaced apart and just chat. And he was like, yeah, come by. I'm in my home studio. And so then we went by there. And then, I mean, him and I just went at it for like an hour, just like this, of just like one thing leading to the next and the next, chatting about film. And he showed me a studio and he's got a plethora of awesome cameras and he's super nice. And a bunch of like Polaroids all over his wall from all over the years. And then before I was leaving, he was like, oh, wait, hold on. He's like, you should, you should take this camera. He's like, it's just collecting dust on my shelf. Um, and I feel like you'll put it to good use after talking to you. And then, yeah, so that was the camera he gave me, which is, is a Graphlex, uh, super D, uh, large format SLR. So, it, I mean, if, if I jump in ever, there really quickly, there's a wonderful picture of you holding it at the New yeah. York fashion week on your blog. So when we give you yeah. the, the website at the end, everyone listening, go and check out the the blog post about New York Fashion Week and check out the camera. Yeah, Sorry. it's basically a, it's basically like a, a granddaddy to the Art Mamiya RV67. It's yes. like it's a big SLR that you look down, but this one is it's actually a three by four, which isn't really a, like it's not four by five. It's this older format called three by you know for three by four that's not really made and. I, there's a guy called, uh, named Graham Burnett that runs this little shop called Graphlex parts that he modifies them and services them. And I actually had him put a four by five back onto it so that I, because the three by four film is super annoying to get, (laughs) you have to get it from China and it's only one company. And although Ilford kind of makes it too, but, um, so he put the four by five back on and it took a couple of months because it's, he's, he's a, a man of, uh, he tries to perfect the, you know, keep them in good shape. And so I had just gotten that camera back after being at his shop for like three months. And I had shot a little bit at fashion week. I mean, all of this was again, just like me being like, I just really like shooting. I didn't, I don't have any, uh, like financial goals with shooting fashion week the past few years. I just yeah. am like, there's a ton of cool looking people yeah. out on the streets 
that are willing to say that if I walk up to them and say, can I take your portrait? They're like, hell yes, absolutely. And so I had just gotten this back that week. And so I just went and I packed as many four by five film holders as I could. And yeah, I just went there with this like giant camera from the, it's from the, like the, I think it's from like 40s, 1947, I think is the year or the mid forties. And so, yeah, I mean, it was funny busting that thing out because it would definitely, it did to definitely draw attention and, and it's always just like, yeah, the outfits are so interesting. And, and, um, one of my like film photography friends here, Dan Bassini, he shoots a lot of like street, um, fashion week stuff where he just like, he just runs around to all the different events cause they're all over the city. And at any event, it's always like right before the event, there's like a huge influx of people going in. And then right after the event, there's a huge influx of people going out of all these like really well-dressed, crazy dressed people. And so it's always just like this fun, like game almost of, of like, you know, just chasing people down or chasing events down and finding cool people to take photos of. And so I think that was kind of what I was just like, let's do this. Let's like bust out this camera that for being a large format camera is surprisingly portable. Like it's handheld and I don't need like the cloak and the loop and anything. I can do it all (laughs) just by holding it. It's as portable as portable can be. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Quote unquote portable. Um, And it fit my backpack. And so it's like, and so I was just holding that, which as I was just saying, definitely um drew a lot of more uh generous eyes or something from the people walking by because they're just getting oh look over here look over here whatever and i would and what's funny about this is like a lot of these digital photographers they're just going you know they're just snapping away whereas i can't really do that with this camera uh because i'm shooting like one frame at a time and i have to focus it set the set the apertures set the shutter speed and so i'd have to be like I'm holding this giant honking camera. I'd have to be like, Hey, can I take a portrait of you with this? And generally they're like, what the hell is that? That let's do this. <laughs> and so then I would have to say like, okay, come over here and like stand off to the side and like kind of set it up a little bit because yeah, I can't just like, as they're walking by, be snapping photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I would like have to be like, all right, just like FYI, this is going to take like, maybe like three or four minutes just to take this one photo and they'd be like, okay, that's fine. You know? And so then I would like, you know, take it and then kind of exchange, you know, Instagram, whatever. So I could give them some, give them the scan later. And so then that was kind of that whole process of like, of just like, I mean, it, what, it is funny. Cause I, you just like walk up to people and you're just like, can I take your photo? It's it's a very, I mean, and so the, 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 the camera was very much an icebreaker of, yeah. it wasn't just Which like, is me with a, yeah, it wasn't just me with like yet another little digital camera saying, Oh, can I take your photo? And then, and you just, you just go walking up to Rosario Dawson, like most people do on, a, every, on an average yeah. day. Well, that was the funny thing with like, so that she was actually on the back entrance of this, like at the main building in spring studios um, and it was one of those things where like, I like half recognized her. I was like, I feel like I know her. And I was like, and I was like, and maybe that's her, but not totally. But I was just like, but she had all this really incredible dress. Yeah. Um, that was like all these patterns, um, and looked amazing. And, and she's just standing there talking to some people at like this, like big garage door at the back. And I'd already taken a couple of portraits and and so, and like kind of in that little area where some other photographers were hanging out and where like a lot of the models enter through that. And so then I just was like, 
hey, can I take a photo of you? And she was like, oh yeah, sure. Cause she was just like, I think it was post show. Like the show was over. So she was just hanging out there, but still in the outfit. And, and so I was like, okay, well, can you like, it kind of feels funny to be bossing around now. I realized like Rosario Dawson, but I was like, okay, now come over here and like, just stand over there and like, you know, and like maybe like show off a dress or something. And then for that one, for the first one I did, or no, I think I took the first one when it was the black and white photo, which is her and this other guy. Yep. Um, and so I took that one when it was like a few photographers all taking a photo of her and she was like set up there long enough to where I could focus it. And I already had that exposure kind of set beforehand because I had metered it. And so I took that one first. And then while I was still hanging out there, maybe five, 10 minutes later, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And so then I would just like went up to her and asked her, I was like, can I just take a photo of you on this? And by that point I had loaded this old expired Polaroid 669 film mm-hmm. from the early mid 2000s. And cause I thought it really has like this crazy color shift where with the colors are dressed, I thought it would look cool. And so that one, yeah, it was like, well, come stand over here and it's like open cobblestone street and I'll take a photo of you. And so I took, yeah. So then luckily, you know, the film gods were on my side and not only did the exposure come out right, but the film actually worked, which it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's just dry. Um, and that was, I think one of my first shots of the day that, cause that was like day two that I was doing this. And what was fun is that then I was like, well, if you want to just hang out for a second, I can, I can just peel this and it's the photo. And she was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. And so, but of course I had to like, let it cook for a couple minutes. So then I was just to jump in. Sorry. Are you not like shitting yourself that you're going to peel it and there's going to be nothing there? Well, well, I think by, I think like I could see on that film, like I've, you know, as I said, like getting to know my cameras and getting to know, uh, getting to improve it. I know the film well enough to where I saw that it spread, which is the biggest thing. Like that I can tell by like the edges that there was like goop that had spread fully across and all things considered, if like, unless it was an utterly bad pack, I knew that it would, that it would get an image, but still a risk. And so I was like, really definitely hoping that it wasn't going to be garbage. Cause that was, I've been there before. I mean, the day before the, the, the pack that I, or like one of my film backs that for the Polaroid film was broken. And so the film, I didn't realize it. So the, the Polaroid film wasn't fully spreading. And so I, what I did actually have a few ones the day before where they weren't working. And then I realized, of course, halfway through the day that that the back was broken. And so right. that this day I brought a nice working back. And, and so then I was like, I think it worked. And then I kind of killed a minute, like talking to her, about the camera and stuff. And then something that I always think is fun is like, as you can probably see in plenty of my stories or reels or whatever, it's that mm-hmm. the peel moment is always so fun. So I was like, well, you should record this um, to her. And so she got out. I was like, do you have your phone? You should record this. So she recorded it. And it's this kind of funny thing where it's she, like I peel it. And I mean, yeah, luckily came out great. Like came out better than I could have hoped. Like she's in focus, like the exposure's on, the peel looks great, like the spread. And she freaked out. And then, and then kind of this funny thing, you, you like in the video that's like on my Instagram, she like goes down to the camera and just goes, Oh, thank you. Graphics. <laughs> and, and then, and then, and then I was like, Oh, well, you know, how do I get it to you? Like the scan. And, and then also, can you, can I, 
could you like send me out? This was probably a ballsy move, but I was like, can you like send me that video? Cause it's on your phone. And then she did, she was like, Oh yeah. So she actually just airdropped me the photo or the video. So, you know, have a nice little airdropped video from Rosario Dawson. And then that was when it like finally fully clicked. Cause when the, that like, I was like, okay, this is Rosario Dawson because then her like assistant came and was like, um, you can just email it here. And he handed me like this, like info at studio, what like the fashion brands account. And then, and he was like, and, uh, and that's Rosario Dawson. <laughs> he like kind of like whispered it to me. And I was just like, okay. So it's like totally confirmed. I'm not like insane. And probably for the best that I didn't fully recognize that till the end. Cause it right. was kind of a surreal little moment, but then, but what's funny is like, then they never got the email and it wasn't until I started posting this stuff like a month or so later that she, I guess through the tagging or whatever, saw it. And then like, was like, Oh, I never got this. And like, she, re- she shared the peel little video. And then, and then I ended up like sending her the actual scan and stuff. So it was kind of a funny moment. But I mean, that's also like such a New York thing too. It's like, you just, and with fashion week stuff, you just like New York is just the crossroads of like bumping into it's crazy circumstances where it's like, it's just a fun, I don't know. It's a whole you see, this is, this is the problem with being English and always talking to <laughs> Americans as you guys talk about all these fun celebrity things that happen and we're just stuck on this island, <laughs> shivering and miserable. Um, I'm going to have to probably, I feel like this is a James Bond film. Like I've got to get this done before the explosion goes off. Um, so I think we'll probably have to draw a line there. It's been fascinating to talk to you and I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. The most important part of the podcast is that I push as many people as possible towards work that I like so that more people like stuff that I like and I win at life. So (laughs) yeah, appreciate it. Where's the best place for people to go to see your work, your website, your Instagram plug away? Yeah. So, I mean, my website has the kind of full breadth of my work, including like weddings, super eight Polaroids, and then also kind of my portraiture and travel. And I also work with a lot of musicians because my wife uh, is an art director for musicians. So that's on there. And that's all at um, nickcollingwoodvintage.com. Um, and then kind of the same for my Instagram's the same. It's Instagram, you know, it's just Nick Collingwood Vintage. And that's like C-O-L-L-I-N-G-W-O-D. Because I get a lot of, especially, I guess, I think Collingwood's kind of more common in in England where it's, I get like yeah. Collingswood or Collinswood or Collinsworth and it's just, just Collingwood. <laughs> so Nick Collingwood Vintage because uh, uh, all the vintage cameras. So that's kind of where everything is. And Well, England's the kind of place where if you have a name like mine, almost every other wedding inquiry i get i get someone asking if i'm polish so <laughs> nice yeah we're, we're not used to two different names we get scared by words that have bigger yeah. letters in them too fancy so so, so ends 2021 this is the last yeah. podcast i'll be recording it's also the first in the two and a half years that i've been doing this that i've a had a drink before starting the podcast and i feel <laughs> like i've held it together pretty well and b completed a podcast beardless because i actually shaved my beard off for the oh, first time in looking clean three and a, i look like a chewed marble it's horrendous <laughs> i don't want to go out in public ever again honestly i can't tell you how much i appreciate you taking the time a massive yeah. happy new year to you and thank you so much all right you as well it's great chatting